0: Hello, hello, welcome back. It is Leading Women in Tech Time. I am totally damn excited. Am I allowed to say that? Damn excited about today's episode. I have two of my favorite people on the show with me today. Two of the amazing women who are inside LitUp Leadership Academy, talking about a topic that I feel we don't talk about enough in general, which is about transitioning. In particular, your first 90 days in a role. So I'm delighted to have Megan Walsh and Kelly Bristol with me today. These two women have been with me for at least six months. I think Megan's been around a bit longer now <laughs> in Lit Up Leadership Academy, and both of them joined because of starting new roles. And I think this is something that we need to learn as senior leaders in particular, but actually early in your careers it makes a huge difference to your career progression, that the more you pay attention to what goes on in those first 90 days of any role, whether it's a promotion a new job, a new project, that transition to something new really sets the tone for the success for the rest of your time doing that thing. And particularly if you're joining a new company, it sets the tone for the rest of your time in that company. You can change that tone, but it's a lot harder. So When Megan and Kelly and I were chatting about this and they agreed to come on the show, I couldn't be more delighted for them to share some of their experience going through this, what they've learned along the way, and perhaps some of the things that they would do differently next time. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Toni Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech, by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Let me give you a little bit more background about today's guests. Megan Walsh is a strategic leader who brings a tailored approach to research strategies and methodologies to address dynamic and fast-paced business needs. She has a background in cognitive psychology and neuroscience and has harnessed her passion for understanding how we interact with our physical, digital, and social environments into 15 years of driving transformations in measurement, tools, and technology. She has a master's in psychological and brain sciences. Holy moly, like she blows me away. (laughs) And she's worked her way from an entry-level position in a small nonprofit company to senior leadership at a renowned media rating agency. She's currently applying her craft at a 14500 company to research and demonstrate the impact of creating exceptional employee experiences on business outcomes in the fintech industry. Quite a career. But Kelly, (laughs) Kelly is pretty awesome as well. Kelly is a VP of data science for market research and data analytics companies. So these two ladies do have something in common. I'll let you into a little secret. They know each other before they even met me. And that's one of the reasons I went to get them on the show together, because they're going to have some really interesting stories that they can share because they know each other, I think. Kelly currently works at Nielsen, where she brings cutting edge research methods and audience measurement hardware to the market. She's responsible for building client confidence in the latest measurement tools and has helped launch five different audience measurement meters over the course of her career quite something these two ladies are extraordinary but their extraordinary success is not an accident it isn't because forgive me ladies it isn't because you're extraordinary in your own right I actually think most of the women I work with are ordinary what they've learned to do is to do the extraordinary that I think we're all capable of and I hope they're going to share that with you today so without further ado welcome Kelly Megan to the show
1: thank you Tony it's a pleasure to be here
0: thank you I am delighted to be here as well Let's start with where I love to start every conversation on this show, which is sharing our career journeys, the highlights and the lowlights, what you do today and why you started in that role. So I'm going to start with Megan here. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey to where you are today?
1: Yeah. So you did a great job introing me in terms of what I'm doing today and a little bit of my background. Uh, As you had mentioned before, I got my start in cognitive neuroscience. I think like a lot of people, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to study or what the future held for me. And when I was in college, my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer. And this was one of those moments where it was a really defining moment for me in understanding what I wanted to do and how I wanted to make my impact in the world. And that was watching her go through chemo. She lost her ability to kind of remember key elements like my birthday, Mm -hmm. my favorite color. And it was a moment where everything had just clicked of, I want to study the brain. I need to understand what the heck is happening and how it goes wrong. How can something like chemotherapy accelerate the aging process? So that really helped guide me through my uh, kind of educational career and what resulted in me going to graduate school at Johns Hopkins. One of the key things that I realized along my career and has kind of been a continual key element is discovering what I love about what I'm doing and discovering things that I absolutely hate. And the more I listen to that compass, the more I refined my success in my career path. And in particular, in academia, for example, I really did not like applying for grants. I loved teaching. I loved organizing the research But there were certain elements of academia that just were not something that I knew I would enjoy long term. And so from there, I went on to governmental consulting, which I think everybody in the DC area has done at some point in their (laughs) life, Uh, and did program evaluations for the Department of Health and Human Services, and really felt like I had that why part of my job. Now down, I am making an impact in the world. I am helping health outcomes for girls, right? That was a really big thing for me. But similar to academia, I hated RFP season. That's request for proposals. The summertime when you are just really hammering out trying to get that income. And so these little kind of moments in my life led me to burnout, absolute burnout, and apply. I was at a point in my career where I just applied for 100 jobs. And I was lucky enough <laughs> to get one at Arbitron, which was the radio ratings company as a sampling analyst. And from there, I started to rediscover those things that I loved. I lear- we learned how to code, right? Learning how to code in SQL was one of those really wonderful, challenging ex- explorations in my career. And then a few months later, we got acquired by Nielsen. So you heard Kelly's intro and where she's from. And I had the absolute pleasure to say that I had one of the greatest leaders uh, take me on under her wing, and that is Kelly, who was one of my first managers at Nielsen, and started to branch in both that quantitative and behavioral type research. And one of the other really critical moments was, I think I told Kelly probably for four years that I did not ever want to be a people manager,
0: vehemently so. (laughs)
1: And then one day she got promoted and I was looking at this position saying, well, it's me or the other person on the team. And I might as well just put my hat, you know, my hat in the ring and they chose me. And it was the, I think, single most unlocking moment of my life of thinking this wasn't something that I wanted to do and loving every single element of that. And from there, I went from a manager to a VP in four years, four and a half years. And I think that just demonstrates that when you find that perfect combination of the things that you love and the things that you're good at, that's where you start to like hit the gas and start running. So that's kind of a a little bit about my (laughs) career story and how I ended up where I am.
0: Thank you. I'm going to come back to you in a second, although... We want to talk about the first night days. There's a little nugget in there that I want to pull out. But I want to hear from Kelly first. And first of all, I'm just going to say, Kelly, thank you for creating the opportunity for Megan because the world is a better place having both of you as people leaders. And so I am glad that Megan was given that opportunity and that you encouraged that in her. (laughs) But tell us about you, Kelly.
2: Megan is a fantastic people leader. And I I will just say... um... You know, I, I think when I first started talking to her and approaching her about joining the team, like I always sort of envisioned that she would lead. I don't know if she knew that at the time, but like I saw that in her and I'm I'm so glad that she came around to, you know, accepting that because it's phenomenal leadership for sure. So you, you also did a great job of introing me. I think I've... Um, as I said, I've been in market research for over 10 years, I guess closer to 15 at this point. Um, focus really mostly the entire time in, um, TV and radio audience measurement. Prior to that, uh, I was a adjunct instructor of sociology, um, at university focusing in like social statistics and things. So very similar to Megan in terms of just you know, kind of finding my path and, and following my interests, but not really being quite sure where they were going to take me. Um, I had actually always thought that I was going to end up in academia being a professor, um, you know, following that track, pushing really hard, going straight from like plowing through my bachelor's, going straight into a master's, hit the burnout, <laughs> decided I needed a change, said, you know, I've studied a lot of stuff. Why don't I try my hat at actually like applying some of this and going into industry? did that and, you know, never, never looked back. <laughs> um, just found a lot of like interest and passion and actually applying the techniques and, and so much fulfillment in that. And I think, you know, at the, at the time, the other thing was I really enjoyed teaching and, you know, helping people learn and grow. And I sort of found a way to nurture that through management and mentorship and helping grow leaders as well. So first part of my career at Nielsen was primarily focused in behavioral science and social statistics, talking about survey design, response rate, bias reduction, lots of math. Um, And then later sort of expanded my scope to include user experience, um, other types of data analytics, and then ultimately something I really love, which is like hardware design and hardware Mm -hmm. user experience research, and that just you know, lights me up um, in terms of seeing how people interact with like a physical form factor and then figuring out how to refine that. So today, my current role is actually focused on explaining all of that stuff to our clients, which is a, an area where I really wanted to grow um, and building their confidence in our our methods or in the data that we produce. So
0: thank you. I, I think it's fascinating that both of you have tried a lot of different things and that you've both realized, I don't like that, and I love this, or I want to, as Kelly just said, I want to grow in this area. And she's taking action to see whether or not it's her thing. And at the point of recording this, we record quite a way in advance on this podcast. Uh, At the point of recording this, one of the things we're going through in Lit Up Leadership Academy is some planning, and trying to figure out what do I want to try out this year? What do I want to explore and see if it's my thing? And I love that both of you have done that. Both of you, throughout your career, you've tried things, and you thought, Love that, hate that, let's move forwards. I think so much of the time we don't take action because we're scared of trying and thinking, well, I might not like it. You know what, you're not gonna know until you try. (laughs) Would you both agree with that? That's part of your success?
1: Absolutely. I think one of the really unlocking moments for me was, um, I think it was a VP at that time of data science at Nielsen had said something like, "It's, it's okay if you fail and I've got your back. And I think, while I knew that through my own personal experience, it really allowed me and gave me the confidence—and not the confidence—the freedom to explore mm-hmm. and have a sense of it's going to be okay. And I, I think learning that lesson and really leaning into that has, like I said, re- really unlocked a lot of opportunity for me.
2: Yeah, for sure. You can you can think you might like something and you can imagine it all you want, but as soon as you start to try it, that's where you actually really understand how all the different pieces come together and whether it really is a good fit for you or not. And I think the more you try new things, the more you really refine that understanding of yourself and what you do like and what you don't like too. So, you know, new experiences are always great for that.
0: That fits in nicely with the one thing I wanted to really pull out of what Megan said about not wanting to do people management. I I speak to so many women who say, oh, I'm not sure I want to be a people manager. And then a few years later, they'll have changed their mind. And I think so many of us hold ourselves back because we're fearful of what people management mean. Megan, can you tell us a little bit about why, if you remember, it might be a while ago, why did you not want to do people management?
1: I had, uh, aside from Kelly, so I'm excusing Kelly from this, um, a variety of really bad people managers in my life. In fact, when I, when I left Nielsen, one of the leaders there said they remember the day that I marched into their office and told them everything that they were doing wrong about people leadership and swore <laughs> that I would never be one. And six months later, I was, I was a manager. And it, it really came down to a major hesitation that I wasn't an expert. I had this weird concept in my mind that I needed to know everything that everybody else knew or at least was as connected as everybody else to help remove roadblocks so I had this in my mind sensation that I had to be something that I didn't feel I modeled, right? And I think one of the great things about Kelly as one of the good managers in my reflection was that she demonstrated that it's kind of, leader, it's caring almost. If you care and you lean in, you can do anything, right? You can, you can unlock that power. You can empower. And the goal really is to empower the people underneath you, right? It's not to do their jobs but I think throughout my career, I had so many micromanaging people mm. that I knew that I didn't want to do that. I didn't realize how awesome people management is, and how uplifting it is, and how watching people grow and uh, excel can really light me up. So,
0: yeah, I love t- I love hearing that. I love like debunking this whole thing of like what it what the myths are around people management, which means so many of us don't try it. When the world desperately needs more of us to be great at it. And if you don't try, you don't know if you're gonna be one of those great ones. So thank you. But let's get on to the topic that I, I wanted you here for, <laughs> which is the first night today is a topic I've already mentioned, I am incredibly passionate about. I call it transitioning. In fact, in the Lit Up Leadership Framework, it is called season three transitioning. It is, in my opinion, the, one of the most important times in your career, as I've already mentioned, and gets very little attention. So I'd love to know what are your experiences of transitions? and what impact do you think they've had in your career progression to date? I'm going to go to Kelly first for this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I think transitions are so important, especially a lot of times those more subtle transitions like a role expansion or an internal move. I think those often get really overlooked because people really don't think of them as full transitions a lot of times. Mm. Um, And for many of us that are in kind of mid to larger organizations i'd say reorgs are quite common and you have those little role transitions and i think a mistake i've certainly made and probably other people make is not really thinking of those as a transition that deserves a full first 90 day approach yeah Um, and i will say with this most recent transition that i took i did take that full full like first 90 day approach and i have been so much better for it um, in terms of just being able to like really understand what the role is get up to speed build connections with stakeholders all of those things and so i think every transition i've had looking back has brought on lots of new responsibilities and growth opportunities and yeah i i think um the more purposeful and planning that people can do the
1: better with that stuff
0: yeah 100 percent, megan what about you
1: yeah. So I have had the opportunity to do a lot of internal mobility, as well as my most recent kind of external change. So that is changing companies. And I would agree with what Kelly said in terms of the subtle changes, like role expansions, and sometimes even just the next level of a promotion, going from a manager to a senior manager. I think they're extraordinarily undercared for. In my experience, I think there was an assumption that I just knew what I would do, right? Especially Mm -hmm. if I'm staying in the same area but I'm growing my span. I knew I was connected to the right people, right? There wasn't anybody telling me what I should do or set out those expectations. And before really kind of joining the Academy and understanding what this uh, framework is, I kind of fumbled my way through, and I wouldn't say that I was unsuccessful, but it certainly took me a lot longer than it has utilizing that framework for this most recent change. And externally, I think it's a little bit easier, right? Because nobody's making that assumption that you know all the people Mm. in the company or that you're a subject matter expert in the exact product, right? And so it feels a little bit more refreshing when it's an external or a major subject matter change within a business because... I think we break down those assumptions, yeah, and that—that's sort of been my experience.
0: Well, you both hinted at there, like following my framework. Um, so you both, for your most recent role change, Kelly internal, Megan moving to a new company, you followed my programs on transitioning. I'd love to know what did you do differently this time, and what do you think the impact that has made on this latest transition, and whether that was important and something you do in the future. Uh, Kelly, would you like to answer that one first?
2: Yes, I would. Um, so I I did a lot more strategic planning, for sure. Um, and a, just a lot of like actually writing down my plan, which I think, you know, I, that was very different for me. Usually I sort of maybe I have some loose ideas in my head, but I just kind of like jump in and figure it out. And I think actually being thoughtful, writing things down, thinking through and actually Refining those steps um, was definitely a big thing for me that helped me get up to speed faster, also helped me shape my perspective of group dynamics and what the role is. I was much more intentional about reaching out to stakeholders, even stakeholders that I had pre-existing connections with, and talking to them about what was working well and what wasn't working well. And I think that really has helped set a a good tone for me in this new role as well.
0: Yeah, I I think it is incredibly important to actually document what you're planning to do more. That's something I think we clever people, right? Most of the women I work with, I should say all the women I work with are damn clever. (laughs) None of you are stupid and you're all very driven and ambitious, even if you've been Your ambition might have taken a bit of a hit at some point because you've burned out. But that has quite often got us to where we are really well without having to do very much of this documentation and planning. And there hits a point where we don't get any further without taking that next level of organization, which is absolutely essential for executives. I see this executives I work with. If they don't have clear planning and documentation, they can't do their jobs. So I think it's fascinating that you've done this at this point and seen that, shift in the way you you've achieved stuff in those first 90 days. Megan, I'd love to hear from you on this too.
1: Yeah. So, I want to piggyback on what Kelly was saying around the conversations that she was having with stakeholders. I think prior to this framework, I viewed meet and greets, right, meeting those people more as a, how do I build my allies? and less as almost investigative reporting. (laughs) Um, And what I started to do as a result of of the framework is really sit down, take that time after the one-on-ones to debrief myself around where are those opportunities? What were the nuances in between? Mm -hmm. And that's actually been exceptionally helpful for me. And I had no idea how helpful, especially with how uh, the organizations continue to turn over. We're losing talent. Her talent is moving on. And there's little hints in those first conversations that I had that said, oh, that's probably going to happen. So it's been interesting to see those predictions happen. The other thing that I'd say is I really took control. Similar to Kelly kind of writing down her specific thoughts and plans, I came in and said, this is what I think I should be doing in my first 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days. I'm not going to be making any changes coming in right away, right? This is kind of like after these three months and being very explicit and being more the driver, as opposed to assuming somebody's going to tell me what the problem space is and what I should really be focusing my time on. I think that positioned me particularly well um, from an authoritative perspective, not in a domineering type of way, but saying, this is how I'm going to control my life. And I'm going to be most successful if I can do X, Y, and Z. And so it's, it was at first a little bit like I had just gotten my driver's license, though, because I was like trying it on. Right. And you're like <laughs> a little too much on the gas and maybe you're breaking a little bit too much. But eventually it kind of felt like, oh, OK, I've got the rhythm down. Mm. Uh, but it was freeing in that same sense of like getting your driver's license for the first time.
0: I think that's a fascinating um explanation of like the, the emotions we go through when we do this because a lot of what I coach the women in pro- my programmes through is uncomfortable for them at times. Like you're you're gonna walk into a room and assert to your new boss that you're not gonna do anything for 30 days, or at least that's what you're worried you're sounding like, and it is is terrifying. And as you say, like, you know, pedal on the gas a little bit too much, breaking too hard, and it's just trying to find that natural soft way to drive it forward. And one of the things that I think is fascinating now, now that I deliver this in Lit Up Leadership Academy, where we've got everybody from early career women who haven't even got their first leadership role, looking at their first leadership role, all the way through to executives. I brought in my first 90-day program in my one-on-one executive coaching. And I realized actually it helps all the way through those very earliest stages in our career. And I wish I'd known about it back then. But I think as you mentioned there, Megan, we tend to let other people drive it early in our career. And I mean, I say to my executives that come to me and I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this. I'm like, well, you've been hired to solve a problem. You're why here to drive this. So you start from day one driving it by setting expectations of what you're gonna do and when. Otherwise they haven't hired the right person. I think the more we can do that early in our careers, the faster we're going to thrive, but also we're going to achieve more at those earlier levels, which is only good for us. It makes us feel fulfilled, in my personal experience. Would you agree with that, ladies?
1: Absolutely. I kind of equate it to early on in my career, I felt like I should fit into a box. And this Mm. framework almost allows me to say, I understand what the box needs to do, but I'm going to be, I have the authority privilege the opportunity to express my strengths to achieve what we need to with that box right Mm. and i it is helpful as i start to hire in my organization and onboard new people i have adopted elements especially those that i found particularly useful in setting out their first 90 days so here's what i think we should be discussing but i also want to hear your opinions and and they have all so far been also very shocked at the wait what you know? I'm like. Also, you should go read this book. And also, have you heard of Little
2: <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely I I agree too. And I I think um, one thing that it's really helped me do is channel and focus my ideas on the right areas of the business as well. Right? Because I'm one of those people that has you know, lots of ideas and lots of thoughts. And I I see all these different things and kind of how they connect and I can just get lost in those thoughts so easily. Right. And just, you know, opine on things all day long if I wanted to. Um, But this framework really helped me channel those thoughts and those connections into actions for the business, which I think Mm -hmm. is so important to me because Ideas are great, but and observations are wonderful, but at, there comes a point where it needs to form into action, and I think that has been really transformative for me, right? And that's maybe one of the areas where I needed to grow too, um, was in figuring out how how to take those ideas and make them into something, and that that's been a, a game changer for me.
0: Oh, it's good to hear. I, will, I would love to wrap up this discussion on the first 90 days before we move to the quick fire round, which you both probably know I love so much. I would love to know what are your top tips for transitioning, starting a new role? What would you say are the key takeaways you would like to share with the audience today? Kelly, do you want to go first?
2: Sure. Um, so I have I have three top tips. The first one is to be really intentional with all mm-hmm. of your, your actions, your planning, everything. Just the more you can... Be intentional and strategic, the better I think you are in terms of success. Make connections with people. Um, So, you know, stakeholders up, down, sideways, above, everywhere. Just try and make authentic connections, be yourself, and also listen. Like, really put on that active listening and that empathy hat um, with others. And then... Lastly, don't make assumptions. That was definitely something that was really high on my little personal self-awareness. As, as I was listening, I was watching for all of those assumptions that I was making, writing them down and then marking them out and, and trying to take away the actual facts of the situation
0: too. Oh, okay. Perfect.
1: I love that so much, Kelly. I'll add on to those because luckily ours don't overlap too much. I was afraid that we both come here with the top, same top three tips, but that's the beauty of diversity. Uh, The first one is staying focused on your bigger why and the bigger why for the business. This is something that was super helpful for me with both the 90 days as well as just the general um, input that I've gotten from the academy. I often say, well, this is what I need to do for the next six months. And I wasn't really locking into what is that bigger why for the next five years and what is my bigger why? A role, this role may just be a two-year role for me and I need to be focused to make sure that I'm getting what I need to get out of it for my long-term career planning, as well as providing the value to the business. The second one, you're all going to laugh is hire a coach. I really wish I would have figured that out much earlier in my career and how helpful it is to have somebody that I feel a bit mentored to death in my life as a female in the industry, especially in data science. Mm-hmm. So they're not being a lot of women But not somebody, there's a very strong difference between being mentored and having a coach who's going to really help you unlock your potential and has that commitment towards you. And then the third one would be trusting your instincts. So Kelly mentioned checking your your assumptions. And I think this is a delicate balance, but I have found myself in my career feeling like I could utilize the excuses of what other people wanted in the job to not trust my gut, right? To not put myself out there. And by following this 90 day program, right? The first 90 days and and those temporal milestones and the reflections, I got really crystal clear on here are my insights and I believe in them and I'm gonna put them forth into this master plan as opposed to trying to fit into that box that I mentioned earlier. So really honing in and saying, I have been selected by other brilliant people to be in this room because I bring my unique contribution and I trust myself to bring that to the place.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I'm delighted to hear that you think hiring a coach should begin in there. I, so many of the women I work with say, God, I wish I'd hired a coach sooner. I certainly found that way. The first coach I hired, I was like, why didn't I do this five years ago? Why didn't I do it 10 years ago? Um, it's life changing. Of course, we'd say that around here. Um, okay. Before we dig into the quick fire round, I want to reassure listeners that if you're listening to this and thinking, this sounds great, but what is the first 90 days? I'm doing a special episode next week where I break this down for you. Normally, this is something I only do inside Lit Up Leadership Academy, but I'm going to give you at least the starting points in next week's podcast episode because I think it is something all of you need to be doing. Of course, I'd be delighted to help you in Lit Up Leadership Academy, but irrespective of your plans there please take a listen ready and ahead of your next transition it's going to be life-changing I promise it but on to the quick fire round starting off with my favorite question what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given
2: oh um this is a good one so or this is a really bad piece of advice uh
0: (laughs) you need to speak more like a man oh I'm sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) no ladies that was, just no. that
2: was the culmination of a, of a really bad project and that was kind of like part of the
1: end of it
0: <sighs> oh wow so yeah
1: I can hear those voices in my head right now Kelly um, the wor- worst piece of I would say career advice for me was find something you're good at and do that for a living and I say that being the worst piece of advice because I think it was well-intentioned but ill-informed work is what we do the majority of our waking hours. And I think it's a shame that we shouldn't have love infused with that and passion. So that's mine.
0: Oh, love that. That's beautiful as well. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice I've been given is to show up as your authentic self. So true. So true.
1: Mine is stop settling for, you can fill in the blank for different things, but just Cool. Stop settling for that's the way your boss should be treating you. Stop settling for has really been the best piece of advice I've gotten.
0: I feel like we all need that as a mantra on like behind our computer screens or something, or maybe it's our screensaver. Like stop settling for dot, 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 and like just remind ourselves of that all the time. Uh, what is the last book you read? I'd love to share books on this podcast.
2: So, the last book I read was The Light We Carry by Michelle Obama. Got that as a Christmas present. Um, Very nice, inspiring book.
0: Awesome.
1: The last book that I completed reading, I have the tendency to read multiple books at once, uh, was The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams. It's a book based um, at the time of women's suffrage in the UK and about the history. It's a fictional take on how women have been left out of uh, even the words that are used to define our, our experiences.
0: Wow. I've not read, read either of those books. Those are both going on my list. And listeners, those will be in the show notes as always. Make sure you go check those out if they sound interesting. Okay, next question. Would you recommend Lit Up Leadership Academy for someone transitioning into a new job? We might already have kind of answered that one.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent. Transitioning is a, it's a great time when you need some extra support, but I would recommend Leadership Lit Up Leadership Academy for anybody, anytime in your career, really. <laughs>
1: Just big ditto right there. I think Kelly is is here. Kelly helped me become a manager and I helped Kelly. And then like, helped me figure out how to get
0: a coach <laughs> and all that, right? Yeah. yeah. Love that. I love that so much. All right. It's time for our mindset moment. As you both know, we love to give a mindset tip at the end of every episode. So I'd love for you to each share what is your favorite mindset tip to help transitioning women leaders as they transition into a new role?
2: Yes, Um Mine is that new things are hard. That is 100%. Like, I just remind myself of that when I'm starting new things, is that they're hard and they get easier
0: with practice. Oh, I, that's, I, that is utterly beautiful. Because I think one of the things we need to be okay with is things are hard. And that is a good thing. It's not wrong. So I love that. Again, I think that's a mantra we should all have on our walls. I feel like I should cover the wall behind my computer screen, like just mantras get a bit overwhelming wallpaper at that point
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can make it really small like wallpaper tony and it would be like really cool effect in the background <laughs> uh, i love that kelly that is so phenomenal the one that i had in mind is similar to something that i had said before but the, actually a mantra that i've been writing down in my journals every day uh since i started and that is i trust myself that i will make the right decision I trust myself that I will make the right decision. I am somebody who's constantly plagued with that like second questioning of myself. And that, like to me, when I start to doubt myself, that's what I'm trying to tell myself. And I think that's really critical, especially when you're trying something new that is hard.
0: That's beautiful as well. And so, I, so many of the women that have worked with me really struggle with that inner critic saying, well, really? Are you sure? Should we just reevaluate that? I'm not sure we can move forwards on this and it really damages us and it, particularly in the transition, it can be so damaging because we just sit there stifled. We've just been hired or promoted or given a new project because they believe in us and when we don't take action, it just it backfires. So I love that one, Megan, because you only get clarity really when you take action. So make the decision you can always reevaluate later. Love it. This has been amazing. We could have chatted all day. I've been trying really hard to keep us like within a time frame, which I've completely failed at. But just before we wrap up, how can we connect with you? How can listeners find out more about you and what you do?
2: Um, so you can find me over on LinkedIn. I'm Kelly Bristol on LinkedIn. So that's the best way to find me.
1: Same here. LinkedIn's going to be the best way. I believe my, I am Megan K. Walsh. There's a number of Megan Walshes out there. Uh, so Megan <laughs> K. Walsh on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out and send me a message.
0: And I will make sure links to both of your LinkedIn profiles are in the show notes. For anyone listening, head over to your show notes in your favorite app or on our website. You can go to tonycollis.com forward slash episode 147 to find the show notes. This has been simply wonderful to have you both on show. I've been wanting to do this for some time. I'm honored that you were happy to share your journey, your words of wisdom today. Any final thoughts that you would like to share before we wrap up?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some final thoughts that I had was just don't underestimate your limitless opportunities and check your disbelief that you can at the door, especially when you're going through these periods of transition. There's people out there. There's communities out there. You've got this podcast. so That's probably better than where you were 40 minutes ago to know that new things are hard and that you can do anything that you set your mind to. 100%, 100%
0: Hundred percent. Hundred percent love that. Oh, that's I like that too, Megan. That's
1: wonderful.
2: Um Yeah, I mean I, I think my final thoughts, I'll kind of echo some of the mindset stuff that we talked about, right? That um new things are hard, but also just to to have have confidence in yourself, right? And um one of the one of the quotes that I have um up is that confidence is taking actions that align with your values, right? And I think that is it's so true right and just doing that that reflection and understanding what your your values are and then making sure that that your actions follow through on that Um, and i think that will lead you down the right career path
0: beautiful as always thank you so much ladies listeners remember if you are interested in learning more about your first 90 days we will be covering that in more detail next week so make sure you tune in but as i say every week and it is so incredibly important when we're doing transitionings. Remember, until next time, stay on your tech leadership game of follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.